Uh, We're going to read from verses 15 down to 24. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they'll become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Whatever we do, the work of our hands, however small and insignificant it might seem, it all matters to God. It's part of how we worship him. It's part of how we serve others. It's part of how we bear witness to a wider world. So there can be kingdom significance in the whatever we do, our daily tasks, however great and small they might be. Paul's writing to these uh, believers, these Christians in Colossae, he's telling them about what kind of a community God wants them to be, but his, his teaching about their community doesn't end with their community. It, it reaches beyond their community because he wants their whole lives to be marked by a love and a kindness and a compassion in their places of work and activity and in all their relationships. need to talk for a second about Colossae and about our world. Our social conditions don't match uh, exactly those that Paul is describing in Colossae, but, but still the, the call of God for us to live is, is one that we can recognize in these verses. Most of the people hearing this letter when it was first written would have been slaves. Uh, and that means that they were servants in large households. Downton Abbey, think Downton Abbey. Think of the guys downstairs in the household and you're, you're not far off the kind of position that these people have. And, and these slaves, in many ways, kept the whole of the economy of the Roman Empire going. They had very little control over their own lives. So the, the, they would have heard Paul's letter read in their community and it would have been very tempting for them to think, well, well, the work that I do has very little significance. Maybe they felt like tiny cogs 
in a huge machine, like an insignificant number in a massive anonymous corporation. Does any of this really matter? Does any of it matter to God? Maybe they weren't alone in thinking that way. I can remember doing work that I had no sense mattered to God. In the mid-1990s, after graduating from Queens, I worked as a trainee chartered accountant in a firm called Coopers and Librand, which is part of what's now PricewaterhouseCoopers. And the work was important. Important clients generating important revenues, doing important work. It's just that I didn't see that. And I certainly didn't see that my part in it was important or that it was important to God. You see, I'd grown up with what I I didn't see then, but I've come to understand since. I'd grown up with a sacred-secular divide in my thinking. Sacred-secular divide, let me explain that very quickly. It's the idea that you can draw a line through all of human life, pretty much, and you can put everything on one side of that line or the other. Some stuff is sacred. So Sundays and church Praise and prayer, ministers and missionaries. That's the sacred stuff. That's what God cares about. And on the other side of the line is, is pretty much everything else, actually. The, the leftover stuff, school and work, profit and loss, art and leisure, Monday to Saturday. Everything that's not over here in the sacred side ends up over here in the secular side. This stuff here, the sacred stuff, is the stuff that God cares about, and this stuff here just doesn't interest him the same way. And this view of things really affected how I went about my life. It means I went to my work, I did my work, I was okay in my work, truth is, I went to my work thinking, how quickly can I get this done so I can get out of here to do what? To go to meetings at church or to do church leadership or to get back onto the sacred side of the line. I wanted to spend as little as possible doing stuff that God doesn't care about so that I could spend my time in the zone that he does care about. Maybe you recognize, I I hope you're thinking a lot better than I did. But maybe you recognize, at least in part, what I'm talking about. So my thinking was shaped by this sacred-secular divide. I had, I'd been in a church, I'd heard Bible teaching, I had an idea, I think, that, that Christians were supposed to be Christ-like, that they're supposed to be salt and light before other people. But I hadn't really grasped what it meant to live for God's glory wherever I was, whatever I was doing. Didn't know I had a front line. It wasn't just that I didn't know that word. That, that's just a word that we've picked up. But I, I honestly didn't know the, that I had a calling to go and make a difference in the world. And if I'm honest, 
nobody at my church seemed that interested in telling me or helping me with it. That's what makes Paul's teaching here such dynamite. Have a look. Paul is blowing up the sacred secular divide. For Paul, there is no secular. Every inch of God's creation is sacred. In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis, he, he warns us against putting off any good part of God's creation as secular. He says this, There's no good in trying to be more spiritual than God. God never meant man to be a purely spiritual creature. That's why he used material things like bread and wine to put new life into us. We may think this rather crude and unspiritual, but God does not. He invented eating. He likes matter. He invented it. So Lewis is reaffirming what God or, or what Paul is saying here that there is nothing secular. Everything is sacred. Notice for a second that whatever you do, that's the phrase that we have lifted from Colossians 3. It's become our title for today. It, it occurs actually twice. First of all, in chapter 3, verse 17. And when you read it there, it seems to be referring to the stuff that we do in worship services or church. <clears throat> verse 15, he talks about how we're members of one body. Verse 16 refers to the word of Christ, the singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Actually, if that was the only occurrence of whatever we do, then we might read that and it might reinforce our ideas that it's the churchy stuff, it's the Sunday stuff that God is interested in. That's the whatever we do. But look at the second occurrence, verse 23. This time it's in the context of a working environment. Slaves in that household, in the kitchen, or the garden, or the staff room of the store, so that whatever you do, when we take them both together, it talks, yes, about the, about the Sunday churchy stuff. That's there. That's good. But it talks about the Monday to Saturday stuff, the everyday. It really is for the whole of life. I want you to notice uh, one more thing before we wrap up this morning. Notice what Paul says about this, whatever we do. Verse 17. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. What does that mean? It sounds like quite uh, churchy, theological language, this idea of in the name of Jesus. What, what, what's that actually all about? What does that mean? It means that we do what we do as a representative of Jesus knowing that we are his ambassadors, knowing actually that if people know I'm a Christian, that I'm wearing a badge, Jesus' name starts to be associated with the things that I do and the things that I say. So I can parent my children in his name, be a friend in his name, I can price a job or run a business meeting in his name. I can plumb a sink in his name. I can coach a team in Jesus' name. You, you saw the guy in the video. Or I can bathe a patient in the name of Jesus. 
We're called to be Christ's ambassadors. We represent him wherever we go. His reputation in the world, and this, this is frightening but true, his reputation in the world depends on people like us. I don't know if you saw the, it seemed to light up social media this week, the news story that Roberto Firmino, the Liverpool striker, was baptized recently. This is a photograph taken um, just after his baptism. Uh, it was an interesting story. It's always interesting when you hear about celebrities who are uh, somehow following Jesus. It, it, it's intriguing, I think. Got me thinking, what is going on at that football club? Some of the players there are followers of Jesus. We know that in the photograph, the guy on the right-hand side, the taller guy is Alison Becker. He's the goalkeeper. So he's a, a member of the church uh, that Firmino's been uh, baptized into. So he's clearly somebody who's been following Jesus, has maybe been influential in the life of his work colleague. What if the boss happens to be another Jesus follower? Someone who cares deeply about the culture that he creates wherever he goes, who wants to do his work in a way that shows a watching world that he's a follower of Jesus Christ? What if his front line happens to be the Liverpool dressing room or the pitch at Anfield or the Premier League? Is this the kind of thing that starts to happen when people really do go to their wherever they are and do whatever they do in the name of Jesus with his spirit on them? I, I don't know. I don't know what's happening at Liverpool Football Club. Maybe one day the story will out. But it wouldn't do any harm, would it? People like Roberto Firmino finding their way to new faith in Jesus, it wouldn't do any harm to have some people living for him, doing whatever they do for his glory. I want to spend the last few minutes um, thinking about an all-important question. Does this work? <laughs> can this actually be done? Can, can we live the whole of life and do all of our stuff in the name of Jesus or whatever we do for his glory. Well, I don't know. This feels to me like the great experiment of human life. I'm trying to learn about it. Let me get the conversation started for, for us today. While I was at Regent College studying to become a minister, I was introduced to a guy who really helped me with this. The, the guy's name was Brother Lawrence. When I say I was introduced to him, not really, because he died in 1691, all right? But I met him in a book that he had written, a collection of some of his thoughts and teachings. In his mid-50s, Brother Lawrence became a, a lay brother at a monastic community in Paris. And he, he worked in a kitchen there, 
he called himself, so he, he just worked to serve the, the actual monks, the, the sort of more spiritual guys, if we continue with a sacred secular divide. They were getting on with being monks. He, he was in the kitchen preparing the meals and doing the dishes, a servant of the servant of the Lord. He said that no task was too trivial for him. He said that whatever I do, I just want to practice God's presence. We all say, yeah, God is with us, whatever we do. And then we go through our day or week and our month without any sense that he actually was. So what we say to be true, we don't experience or practice. But Lawrence said, I want to, I want to live into this, this presence of God really with me. And as he did that, he was able to transform his, his everyday kitchen jobs into glorious experiences of heaven. This idea, when I first came across it, it made a huge impact on me. That I could practice the presence of God, whatever I do. So I try to do that. Don't get me wrong. I don't always try to do that. But sometimes, you know, after talking to you about this today, today, I'll remember that this is how I want to live. I'll tell you a little bit about my experiences with it because these things aren't always easy. I find it easier to do with jobs that aren't too mentally demanding. You know, so boring, repetitive jobs. That's a, I find myself, well, the first thing I notice is because of this invitation to practice God's presence, a boring, repetitive job is something that I don't get quite as grumpy about as I used to, because it carries an opportunity with it to, to open my heart and my mind to commune with God. So when I'm hanging out the laundry, I get to pray for the members of our family whose stuff I'm hanging out. So you know the way the Tibetans have prayer flags? You've maybe seen the beautiful photographs of their prayer flags. We have prayer pants in our family. Hang them up and pray for that person. If I'm setting a table or before a meal or washing up after a meal, either for my family in the everyday humdrum thing that we do or if there have been guests with us, there's a bit of time there to to pray around the table, to bring that person before God and hold them there for a moment. So it's a, it's a lovely thing to practice God's presence in the whatever we do, the, the ordinary, the humdrum jobs. Where I find it harder actually is in the the stuff that takes more of my concentration when I'm, when I'm mentally very engaged, like writing a sermon, a detailed administrative task on a complex software, or, or just writing a hard email to somebody. Over the years, that always frustrated me that I, you know, there were large parts of my day that I couldn't have this sense of practicing God's presence with me. I had a bit of a breakthrough with this recently. I thought I'd share it with you. After struggling with this for a while, there was a moment where I just felt like God was saying, don't worry about that. I know there are times when you have to just do 100% mentally the thing that you're doing. 
just invite me to be there with you anyway. And I will. So I acted on this impulse. I typed up uh, one phrase prayer for myself. Let's do this together. Thinking about my work. Printed it out, stuck it on the wall behind my monitor where I do a lot of my work. Let's do this together. And what it means is that I can, if I know I'm going to be sitting on a computer for a couple of hours, I can, I can see that, I can pray that prayer, and I can say, Lord, this isn't going to feel very spiritual, but I want you to be in it. I want my administration to honor you. I want the emails that I send to, to speak of your presence in my life and in this community. Whatever I do, Lord, let's do this together. Folks, I'm pretty much done in terms of what I want to share with you this morning. I just want to, I want to, I want to pray a blessing over you that God would bless you in the, the work that you do, whatever you do this week for his glory. I'm going to pray a prayer. It actually, it's a, a set prayer. It's quite short. I'll pray that for us together. Um, yeah, let, let me do that. Let's pray. Lord, as we scatter to our front lines, we thank you for the many opportunities to do good in the world. Whatever the tasks of our week, wherever we are, we pray that you'll work through them and that they'll bear fruit for your kingdom. May we do all things attentive to your present, your presence and with a heart set on working at them for you, first and foremost. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just going to say one last thing. If the, the guys who are on the welcome team listen to this, that, that would be good because it's a, a wee instruction for them. Over the the last couple of Frontline Sundays, we give you something to take home to, to remind you of the things that we had thought about. So you got your uh, coffee uh, coaster the first week, then you got your card the second week. Today we're going to give you a pencil that says whatever you do on it. So you've got that pencil. Uh, you're going to forget all about it as soon as you get it. But in six months' time, you're going to be needing to write a note in work or at home, and you're going to, the only thing you'll be able to find is our pencil. And, and you're going to take it and use it, and you're going to say to yourself, oh yeah, whatever I do, everything, this to-do list that I'm going to write full of the most mundane stuff, or this note that I'm going to write about something difficult that, that I need to deal with. Whatever I do, I can do it for his glory. The, the welcome team are going to give these out during the final hymn. 